Hey everyone, it's Sonali Figueres back with Green Queen All Protein Weekly, the live version. I'm joined by VC um, in the space, Steve Molino. Hey, Steve. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Um, well, this is our third time, so it's it's really fun to be doing this with you. Let's let's dive right in. Let's get to our big story of the week, which is that Singapore coffee chain um, Flash Coffee is now serving oat milk by default. What are you thinking? Yeah, I love this. I love this. So there's a lot of reasons I love it. Um, mainly for just to start the idea of like where the industry has been for the past number of years. When I say the industry, I mean the food service industry, the coffee shop industry. Mainly when I, when I think about it, I'm looking at the U.S. and I just see Starbucks and other players. They, they have plant-based options on there. They're definitely not the default. And if anything, they are more expensive than than traditional dairy. So there's just overall a feeling of inferiority uh, to traditional dairy for consumers. So I love that this is going to be not only sold at the same price, but also the default, because you and I have talked about this, right? We joke, we say we love behavioral econ, and this is choice architecture and all, all of that. Um and it's just nudging people to make the decision to go plant-based, which is awesome. But the big thing for me, and I, I would really like your thoughts on this, Sonali. The big thing for me is that I feel like over the years, we put so much emphasis on what the individual brands and companies are doing in the space. So looking at the plant-based dairy players, the milk players, we're trying to get into Starbucks, we're trying to get into Flash Coffee. Uh, and we're not really putting that much um emphasis on the the food service providers or even retailers being accountable themselves for shifting the food system in a better direction. And this is an example for Flash Coffee saying, we want to help our consumers make better choices for themselves and for the planet. And we're going to, we're going to nudge them and we're going to push them to do that. And they still have all the options they used to have, but uh, we're trying to make things go the right way. Uh, so that was the big thing for me about this story but what did you think did you think about that or were you thinking about it in a different way i'm i've been spending the last six months kind of heavily ensconced in this kind of world of choice architecture and nudging and kind of how do we get better behaviors to just be easy and accessible and convenient um because for a lot of time the industry's whole thesis has been the product needs to be accessible and cheap and delicious um, but it turns out it's also kind of the format of how we serve the product to people. And I think we talked about this in the first episode, but this really reminds me of the, the, the work that LinkedIn did with a group called Greener by Default in their San Francisco headquarters, where they were trying to essentially find ways to decarbonize their, their, their cafeteria, the, ca the corporate cafeteria menu. And what they did is they just, removed dairy from the corporate cafeteria coffee bar and they just had oat milk and not only did um no one complain but it see it appeared that no one even noticed mm. and lately i've been spending a lot of time thinking about how can we have impact um in in kind of changing consumer behavior in a bigger way and i really do think that it's these kind of more larger shifts where 
you're getting a volume impact rather than trying to convince each individual customer to make an active choice. Mm -hmm. It's the passivity of the choice or even the non-choice that I find very enticing here. And I really commend Flash Coffee for doing that. So they have 15 outlets in Singapore. Um, they are in four different countries, including Hong Kong and Indonesia. So let's see if this is something that they can push further. But it, it's something that's really for the consumer. It's going to be, what's going to be interesting for me is what's going to be the feedback. Are consumers mm -hmm. going to notice? Um, are they going to complain? Um, this is an environment where chains like Starbucks are still charging a premium for plant-based dairy. So we get charged for Hong Kong dollars, which is around half, uh, 50 cents US. Um, so what I do is I'll bring my own cup, which you get a $4 discount for. So it basically comes out <laughs> the same, but essentially we're still having that plant milk tax. And so this really is changing the narrative as well. Um, and it's, so it's not only is there this kind of carbon footprint win, but it's also this win in how we frame plant milk. So let's see, let's see. I mean, it, it what's going to really matter here, it, other than the commitment that this company has taken and, you know, the campaign they've created with it, Sip for Change, what's really going to matter here is the feedback. Yeah, I agree. I agree on all those points. Um, also, nice job gaming the system and figuring out your way around paying more for <laughs> for plant milk. Uh, I One thing, though, that you mentioned about the LinkedIn thing, I think it is different for like a corporate in their cafeteria versus a food service provider like Flash Coffee. Like LinkedIn, they completely, if they did, they completely removed plant milk, or not plant milk, they removed dairy milk. And luckily it worked out. Um, I think that's a dangerous move for a food service or food service provider or retailer to completely remove the option for an animal product from consumers, because I think that opens the door for real backlash where they say, you're stripping this from me, you're taking away my choice. Um, within a corporate, you, you have less, you kind of have less of a say if you work for a company, the company can make decisions for you, um, whether you like it or not. But for food service or retailers, I think it's really important that they as much as i would love them to just take away animal products i think it's important that they do this type of approach first because it doesn't take away the option but it, mm -hmm. there's just it shows through data over many many studies over over the years in behavioral economics that it, it leads to a higher uptake in whatever the default is so uh, absolutely but, I, but yeah i put a post out there a long time ago like what's the quickest way to start a world war and no, no, like no, take, for sure. Take someone's meat away and say you can't I'm, have it. I'm uh, glad you clarified <laughs> it. Flash Coffee has not removed dairy. And right. nudging the technique they're using, the whole point is you don't reduce the number of choices. You just change the default. Right. The way LinkedIn did it was a specific um, interpretation of, of that kind of choice architecture. Um, I think... Yeah, but I love this. And um, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm, I'm wondering, do you want to go into the next segment where we talk about the standouts. I would love to hear, you, we were talking before this and you you had a couple that were really, really interesting. I'm wondering if you wanna- Yeah, sure. Wanna well, I mean, while, while we're on the subject of dairy, um, so some, some data just came out about the Gen Z demographic in China and 
this report that was released by the China Dairy Industry Association and Royal Friesland Campesina shows that actually um, Gen Z is leading in the consumption of dairy products um, mm. as a group in China. Um, and their intake of milk and, and milk products is higher than the total average. So that's quite interesting because that is not actually what's happening with Gen Z across the rest of the world. And it really, this is where you really have to understand geography and, and, and local kind of the history of each market to understand the role of foods within that. Because in the West, we've managed to get to a point where, you know, 15% of the milk market is now plant-based. And a lot of that has to do with things like allergies and kind of mm -hmm. choices to remove dairy for health reasons, as well as uh, the vegan motivation. But what you're seeing in China is that actually dairy is, is very much considered a high value food from a nutrition point of view. And I mean, this is a country with high lactose intolerance, but it's also a country where the government actually has minimum, you know, dairy uh, 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 guidelines in terms of how much should be consumed for optimal health. So, mm -hmm. so that stood out to me because it feels like Gen Z in China is not acting very much like Gen Z in the rest, in the West. Yeah. I don't love it. I don't love it, but that's a good call out. <laughs> yeah, I don't love it either. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I have, I have looked at data for dairy consumption in the next five to 10 years in China. And it is sobering. Mm. It's sobering, especially since we know that dairy is actually in, in certain aspects, almost worse than beef because it's so inefficient. And anyway, so, and it's incredibly cruel, obviously as well. Mm -hmm. So I think something to watch. Definitely. What, what, what was one of yours? That stood out. Yeah. Yeah. One one standout for me was um it said that US based My Forest Foods, which mm -hmm. makes mycelium based whole cut bacon, um, called My Bacon. Uh they secured a 15 million series A2 funding round, uh, which great, good for them. Um, I'm excited for them. Um, I've had the product, it's really good. But the thing that was really interesting here for me was that they are they appointed a new CEO. Um, so there's there's so many so many thoughts that come to me when, when you think about appointing a new CEO for a startup. But I, I mean, I've been an investor in the space for some time, and I can tell you that bringing on new leadership, especially the CEO level, that is not an easy thing. Um, and it, it really has to be done in a very thoughtful way. So the fact that they're bringing in someone with great experience and it's being done in a pretty seamless way alongside a new raise, I, I commend them for that. Uh, because it's not the founder of a company is not always the right person to take it from zero to IPO. Sometimes they are. Um, but when they're not, you hope that the founder can still stays on and still is pushing the company forward because that's their baby. But maybe is open to bringing someone on that could take it to the next level, because at the end of the day, this is about generating impact and impact is not going to be generated if these companies stay very, very small. Um so that was that that really stood out to me. One one little caveat to that is I I I've spoken with with Eben Bayer, the the CEO, the old CEO of MyFars. He's still the CEO of Ecovative, which is just a a fungal mycelium powerhouse. Um, I do think he is the kind that could take it from zero to IPO, but uh, I'm sure he's just pulled in a million different directions. But that's a little little side note.
Yeah, quick quick follow-up question to that. So the, the funding actually came from Ecovative itself. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. Um, which I thought was was interesting. So Ecovative themselves have just raised 30 million. And mm. it's interesting because the last time that uh my forest raised was almost two years ago, I think, or over two mm. years ago. And that was like the Robert Downey Jr. backed, you know, 40, I think 40 plus million round. So so I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. I, I don't know. That, I don't have that is interesting. details, but Apparently. I mean, it's it's well, it's kind of like treating it. So, like, my farce was a spin out of Ecovative. So it's like uh -huh, exactly. they, they became a, a separate entity themselves. Um, so maybe it's treating it like Ecovative is now a strategic investing in in the company. I don't know. I'm not. I I don't know the details yeah. of that one, but I, I don't see any really negative things that could come out of that. So that's that's pretty. No, if anything, it's like it's great. It's it's yeah. supporting each other. Um. Yeah, on the subject of mycelium, another story that I that I loved was that Rachel Ray has has signed a, a partnership with Meaty Foods, uh, another mycelium player, and um, they're going to roll out a series of content recipes and tips. And and I just really want to call this out because Rachel Ray is such a she's such a mainstream, you know, like regular person um celebrity that you know she really came from 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 kind of nothing and built this huge brand and is super approachable and has spent you know 20 years in front of american audiences drawing in you know a million to to two three million people per per show um and she just she has this reach into people into regular families and mom's kitchens and so i think it was a really great choice and it's a really great way to kind of mainstream a product that is not very well understood, but I, I really liked it. I, I really like that it's Rachel Ray because she's very unelite, unpretentious. She's not a Michelin chef. You know, she's very much like, I'm going to help you make healthy food for your family easily and quickly. And most of all, affordably, she's very associated with affordability and, you know, mm. she's very associated with accessibility. And I don't find that, I feel that a lot of alt protein brands, that's not usually the kind of people they they choose to associate with. It tends to be like big time celebs or right. you know, very, very famous elite chefs. So I like this for the industry. I like this for the product. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it was one that actually, that was going to be one of my standouts as well, but for a different reason, but it all ties in together with, with what you're saying about Rachel Ray and who she speaks to. But I see this as a real opportunity to do what I think needs to be done for mycelium and biomass mm -hmm. fermentation, which is really show the consumer how it's differentiated from plant-based. There are a lot of benefits to plant-based products. Mycelium is different though. And it's one of the major differences is around the unprocessed side of it and the nutritional profile of it. And, and what I mean by that is most of these products have limited processing and maybe single digit numbers of ingredients, if not two or three in ingredients in the, in the product. So to call that out and, and say it's also high in protein, high in fiber, but then make it really accessible through someone like Rachel Ray, uh, I think is just a real opportunity. I hope they hit on the education side a little bit, not over hit it over the head, but like hit people over the head with it, but in a way that they can just say, oh, this is something new, something different, and there's a lot of benefits to it.
Yeah. I can't wait to hear the feedback. I mean, that's the other thing. We don't often get the feedback of these things, but it would, right. be, I'd love to interview Rachel, Rachel Ray after like six months and go like, what, what came out of this, you know, but yeah. what's, what's a, what's your second kind of standout story? So, um, so the other thing that I wanted to hit on was really, uh, this I this so what is it? It says uninterrupted, which is a su subsidiary of the Spring Hill Company, founded by LeBron James and Maverick Carter. They are teaming up to create a sequel to the Game Changers documentary. And Amazing. I don't if if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen the Game Changers, it's about how plant based diets, whole food plant based diets, can positively impact athletes and and their health and things of that nature. And it's had hundreds of millions of people that have seen it and it's been really impactful. And the, the thing that that I'm so excited about for this is that LeBron James is an idol to so many people. He has himself, hundreds of millions of people who follow him over social media and probably more in other capacities. But if he says that he's promoting sustainable foods, healthy plant-based foods, that can shift the diet of an entire generation quickly. So like you and I, we talk about the space, we invest in this space, right? That's awesome. He can undoubtedly have more impact in the matter of the time it takes to watch a documentary than, than we could probably ever have. So I'm, I'm ex extremely excited about that. I love it. I mean, it's super cliche, but the game changers was a game changer. And it was mm -hmm. a game changer. I think what a lot of people don't realize, it was a game changer for men. It really gave men all over the world kind of an opening to start exploring plant-based. And that's what, I don't know if that gets talked about enough, but until yeah. then, you know, plant-based was heavily associated with a with females, vegans. It, it was very, it was very feminized. I think what I saw happen literally in my circles was all the guys I knew suddenly they weren't making fun of it. They weren't belittling it. They were, they were kind of, they'd watched game changers and they were kind of opened up about plant-based. So yeah, this is huge. LeBron is an icon. I mean, may he, may he kind of, you know, absolutely change stomachs and minds. Yes, please. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, even for the game changers, there were some, power lifters and really, really impressive athletes in there uh, that made made men say, oh, okay, we can be strong eating eating plant-based diets. But a lot of people didn't know who some of those those individuals are. Everyone knows who LeBron is. And I don't think anyone's going to say that the king, which is what they call him, I don't think they're going to say that a plant-based diet is not okay for men if he's literally saying this is, this is good. So, right. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we're going to have to end it there, but I will add that there was another um quick um story in the newsletter that kind of adds to this your story which is switch for good um which tries to get kind of people to switch to plant-based milk they collaborated with the international olympic committee to create a playbook on plant-based nutrition to optimize athletic performance and so yet again another sing signal to the market that you can be incredibly healthy and powerful and you know well powered um, by plants, even as an Olympic athlete. And I think these symbols are just so important and so vital. And again, yeah. for men, 
for young boys, for young men, right? Because it's not just an ethical choice or an environmental choice. It can also be a health choice. It's very powerful. Absolutely. And it's not even saying you can be good at sports or be at peak per, peak peak athletic performance with plant-based. It's that it's the optimal choice. That is a key, key thing that this is the way you should go to be optimal. So I, I hope that, that that message starts resonating more. Yeah, that's true. You're right. They did say optimize. I missed that. Yeah, good, good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> optimal. It's not, yeah, optimal. I love it. All right. Well, that's perfect. Note to end on. Everyone will be back next week. Um, if you like this recording, it's on Spotify. Share it with your friends. Um, Steve and I are loving this and we're gonna be we're gonna keep going. So we want to hear your feedback, your comments, anything you want to say, anything you want us to discuss, let me know. Let Steve know. We're here to, you know, talk it out. All right, signing off.